Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we speak with Talmo Zhou, author of the new book, Migration in the Time of Revolution, China, Indonesia, and the Cold War. Talmo Zhou was assistant professor in the School of Humanities at Nanyang Technological University. We spoke to Talmo about how the close partnership between Indonesia and China started unraveling in the mid-1960s what this meant to ethnic Chinese living in Indonesia, and how newly available sources from China prove that it is highly unlikely that Mao Zedong dictated the behavior of Indonesian communist leaders, which was assumed at the time. Hello, Tamo. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Jonathan. Thanks for inviting me. It's our pleasure. We want to congratulate you on your new book, Migration in the Time of Revolution. China, Indonesia, and the Cold War. Congratulations. Thank you. So tell us, what inspired you to write this book? Right, so um, this is my first book, and um, as the same with many first books, um, it's actually based on my PhD dissertation. So people usually start with broad theoretical questions, you know, but and then narrow down to specific case studies. But in my case, I think I did it in the wrong way, <laughs> in the reverse order. I hit the jackpot at the very beginning. So um, in the early 2000s, the Chinese Foreign Minister archives declassified lots of documents. Um, and lots of that relate to Sino-Indonesian relations. So I happened to have a chance to collect all these materials. And later, um, all these documents were reclassified. So in other words, most of the Chinese governmental sources used in the book are no longer available to researchers. Um, of course, these sources tell very interesting uh, story about Chinese foreign policy decision-making, kind of open up this black box, right? You, you, can, you get to see what is really going on in uh, the Chinese foreign policy elite's mind. But it also has some limited limitations, right? So, um, for example, if we think about China and Indonesia, the first thing that really comes to people's mind is like the Afro-Asia conference in 1955, this idea of um, Afro-Asia solidarity. But um, China and Indonesia were so close and why did this uh, very strong strategic partnership just fell apart overnight in 1965, right? So um, I think the diplomatic sources alone was not able to uh, explain this puzzle. So later on, I explore, of course, Indonesian language sources. And most importantly, um, I try to find out what, you know, the rupture of bilateral relationship meant for people on the ground, uh, particularly the ethnic Chinese Indonesia who were around like 2.5 million at a time. So I did oral history interviews. Um, I visited, for example, what is called overseas Chinese farms. Uh, these are virgin lands given to uh, migrants who return from Indonesia to start their life uh, all over again. And I uh, was given a chance to, for example, read their family letters, um, see their old family photo albums, or even see their like uh, old school textbooks and uh, marriage certificates, ferries, um, things like that. So the book is ultimately, I think, um, an experiment 
to weave together narratives from both top-down and bottom-up perspectives. Interesting, interesting. So your, so your book covers a lot of topics, but a, a large focus is on the ethnic Chinese in Indonesia, and there were concerns right. in Indonesia, who do, they, who do they have loyalty to? And so I saw that exactly. the Beijing asked local ethnic Chinese to pledge loyalty to Jakarta. Explain a little bit more about <laughs> Right, right. Um, that's that's a very good question, right? Um, that's also something <laughs> some readers found very controversial about the book. Um, so um, at the time, there were around 2.5 million ethnic Chinese in Indonesia. Um, they allegedly play a very important economic role, but have dubious national allegiance. Um, and for the People's Republic of China during the Cold War, it was in this really urgent position to establish formal diplomatic ties with the newly decolonized countries uh, all across the world. So in other words, uh, for the political leaders in Beijing, um, the importance of established reputation and prestige international uh, arena is more important than maintaining ties with the Chinese diaspora worldwide. So Beijing was very eager to dispel any suspicion uh, on the part of Indonesia political elites on whether Beijing was going to use the Chinese diaspora as a Jordan horse or as a fifth column. So that's why um, the Chinese diplomats we're urging the local ethnic Chinese pledge allegiance to Jakarta. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So you say that that was a, a controversial part of your book. Are there any other elements of your book that you think people will be uh, upset about? <laughs> right, right. So people are upset about the first point, possibly because um, some readers think I was trying to absolve um, the People's Republic of China from political intervention because this idea that you know china is exerting influences all around the world through the overseas chinese still pretty contemporary still pretty current appears in news cycles today um but i guess what i was trying to say in the book is that um there is no moral judgment on it right only a very pragmatic um real politic calculation on the side of the decision makers of Beijing to um, value more of bilateral diplomatic relations over uh, whether it's allegiance or the ability to mobilize overseas Chinese. Um, and another thing closely related to this issue of Beijing using um, the overseas Chinese is um, China's involvement in the political turmoil in Indonesia in 1965. Uh, I guess some of the listeners probably have seen the movie um, The Year of Living Dangerously. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, right? Uh, so it's uh, like a love story between um, an Australian journalist played by Mel Gibson with um, a British intelligence officer played by Sydney Weaver. Mm -hmm. So there's a critical scene when Sydney Weaver was telling her lover um, weapons from Shanghai has arrived in Jakarta. So she was referring to um, lots of Western media speculation, as well as the propaganda of the later Soharto regime that the Chinese communists instigated its Indonesian comrades to stage a coup d'etat. Um, so the book, I guess the core <laughs> argument of the book is to um, debunk this myth, right? So 
newly available sources from China prove that it's highly unlikely, um, you know, Mao Zedong dictated um, the behavior or the political decision of um, the Indonesian communist leaders. Most likely they made their plans independently from Beijing and most likely no weapons have arrived from China to support a communist insurgency in Indonesia. Interesting. So maybe we need to remake that movie. <laughs> Fascinating. Oh, that's great. That's great to know. That's great to know. Um, what way do you hope your book will make a difference in your field? Right. So um, what I hope is that there will be more communication or discussion or debate among uh, scholars of foreign relations, of uh, international relations and scholars of uh, global migration. So I guess these two groups of uh, scholars have very different concerns and have very different questions. Um, and the book, I think in itself is trying to recast uh, this high political drama into a transnational social history and show that you know all these all that is going on in geopolitics um, is actually inevitably intertwined with the everyday life of ordinary migrants so of course like states had their uh, capability to claim or to deploy the the migrants but um, these people on the ground they also had their own autonomy agency and sometimes navigate through the cold war on their own terms right so like i guess the book was trying to tell the story of somebody who will come to age in the 90s, 40s, and 50s. Like, you know, what books, what magazines did they read? Which school did they go to? Who were their favorite teachers? Which national flag did they raise? Uh, which national day did they celebrate? I think these individual decisions, um, when accumulating, also had an impact on the trajectory of bilateral diplomatic relations. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh complicated history but but uh you've unraveled you've unraveled a lot of the the um hidden history of this time period and we really appreciate it so and we really appreciate talking thank, with you. So thank, thank you, you jonathan for talking with you and congratulations again on your new book thank you so much jonathan really nice talking to you right, it was great talking with you you take care you too bye, bye. that was tom ojo author of the new book Migration in a Time of Revolution, China, Indonesia, and the Cold War. As a loyal listener to the podcast, we'd like to offer you a special 30% discount on her new book. To receive your discount, please go to cornellpress.cornell.edu and use the promo code 09POD. If you live in the UK, use the discount code CSAnnounce and visit the website combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.